0: With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the privacy Professor. We're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold.
1: Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 28th episode of my show. I use my show to help raise the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and also to better protect their privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is, or You can also subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel site. Also, please check out my websites, simbas360.com and privacyguidance.com. And I'm now teaching live online IAPP privacy certification classes. Send me an email if you want to know more. So, I'm preparing to give a keynote and a workshop in the Philippines in September And I really enjoy having the opportunity to travel for work in parts of the world that I've never been to before. And then taking a few days to explore and learn about those areas. And I'm really looking forward to exploring up close some of the many volcanoes in the Tagate area in the Philippines, as well as the Corregidor Island And I have on my bucket list visiting all seven continents. And I've always been grateful that my business work has taken me to new destinations worldwide. I still have two continents left, Africa and Antarctica. So if any of you are from Africa or southern South America, which in uh, most cases that's the best access to Antarctica and you need help with information security or privacy, please get in touch. Also, if you're interested in being a sponsor or advertiser on this show, please also get in touch. My August Privacy Professor Tips message was published on July 30. Did you get yours? Well, if not, sign up for them. I've always provided them for free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And please send me an email. Let me know who your privacy hero is. This can be somebody at your work or in your personal life. I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout 2018. Now today, my tip of the week relates to one of my August tips news items that involved ransomware. The number of ransomware occurrences are really growing very dramatically and one method that ransomware clerks use are electronic communications such as email and texting and other peer-to-peer communications that appear to be from someone you know or trust. And They can be incredibly convincing. People have clicked on links in such phishing messages, and then as a result, it launched a ransomware attack that encrypted all their data, locked up their computers, and held them for ransom. Now, too many people do not make frequent backups, and so what do they do? They pay the ransom and they hope that the crook actually does unlock their computer, and they hope that they really do get their data back. You know, it's a gamble. And chances are the crooks have already sold copies of your data to others. So here are three tips for today for spotting a spoofed email message and avoid being a ransomware victim or victim of so many other types of cybercrime, Tactics that involve spoofing your digital messages. Number one, look at the address of the sender in the message header. Now look at every single character. If it has anything different or unusual, it could be a spoofed message. For example, it is very common for cyber crooks to leave off the M at the end of an email message. So it just shows C O at the end, but it has, you know, the, the, the rest of the email that you might recognize in front of it. Number two, if it looks like it came from a friend or coworker or relative and the message is out of character for them, call them. Just pick up your phone and call them. See if they actually sent you that message. And number three, hover. Now do not click but hover your mouse over links within the message. Now, if you see a URL a URL that is different than the one typed out in the message, then it's likely a phishing message, so don't click on it. And there are many other signs of spoofed emails, but these three actions will catch a lot of them. So today, I am covering an information security and privacy problem that is as bad today as it was decades ago. And in many ways, it's much worse. Breaches are occurring through physical forms of information on printed paper, getting access to the physical USB drives and external hard drives, or getting access to backup media and other ways in which physical access to any type or form of information occurs, and then it exposes the personal information and the other types of sensitive information. Now, when I built and was responsible for the information security program at a large multinational organization throughout the 1990s, I had an incident involving physical access to information, and it's going to be forever Hedged in my memories. So I always went to work very early in the morning. And I got a call one morning at 6.05 a.m. I remember the exact time. Right after I had already gotten settled in and started working. The caller said, hey, we're on the news. I'm like, what? And the caller said, reporters are saying that papers containing our customer's information is blowing all throughout the streets of downtown in the city where I was at. Well, turns out that the truck that, tr- that picks up, that was hired to pick up, our papers to take to the shredding center, they'd forgotten to lock the back door of their truck. And as it drove from downtown to the east side of town where the shredding facility was, those back doors opened up. And all the papers started coming out of the back of the truck, unbeknownst to the driver who just kept on driving. Well, I rounded up everyone from my team, and I also got people from our internal audit department. I got people from our physical security department, and we went out in the streets of the city, And we gathered up every single piece of paper that we could find from the streets and the gutters and every other place that we could possibly determine that those papers might have blown out to. Now, it turned out that the information was not real. It was uh, not real customer information, but it was made up information that was on papers that were used for our company's brokers and agents' training that they were having here at the home office. So this incident wasn't really a breach of personal information, but to all the TV viewers who saw the multiple reports about this incident saying that our company had all of our papers with customer information flying around through the streets, it was a breach to the viewers' perception. And, of course, when we called in to make a correction to the story did that make it onto the air no it did not it was a small footnote in the city's uh, newspaper in their corrections section well we switched to shredding documents before the left before they actually left the facility soon after that and i see incidents being reported weekly about breaches of documents, often because of carelessness of the organizations that are involved. In March of this year, 2018, there was a doctor who also owned an apartment building, and he was the landlord. And in that apartment building in the basement, the doctor had put boxes and boxes of patient records down in the basement for storage. And it was out in the open. All the residents of the apartment building could access and open up the boxes and get right into the records. And the records contained birth dates and social security numbers and medical notes and, and information about the patient treatments and more. Now, it was right there where the residents were. Anybody coming in to fix plumbing or the electric outlets or currents you know, down from the basement, they could have seen or even taken the records. And who would have known? Another incident. In late 2017 in Oregon, the Lane County Health and Human Services Department announced that they had lost 49 boxes containing patient and client information. And it was while they uh, were moving to a different storage facility. They, They just simply lost track of 49 boxes. And they said they... They don't know what happened to them. They said that they could have accidentally been destroyed, but they said they really didn't know for sure, and they never figured out where all those boxes of records uh, actually went. They could have been stolen. So those records were also very sensitive in nature. They contain health data. They contain financial data and a wide range of personal information items. These things are still going on. So what are some other real-life incidents involving physical access to information? And what do organizations and really every person in their private lives, what do they need to do better about keeping control of all of these physical representation of information? Well, I have the perfect person to discuss this with today. Today, my guest is Andrew Isasi. He is the vice president of Kent Record Management and also the president of IG Guru. It's a news organization to ensure that relevant information governance or IG news is shared with the IG community. Andrew has volunteered with ARMA and he's mentored and wrote exam questions for the Institute of Certified Records Managers and he also founded the career consulting practice Admovio, or it might be Admovio, where his resume review work and career advice is published on CIO.com. Andrew's spoken throughout the United States, and he's also contributed many pieces to ARMA's Information Governance Body of Knowledge. Andrew has many, many Information Governance records management, privacy security, and project management certifications. And you can see more about Andrew at andrewisasi.com. Andrew, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show.
2: Rebecca, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, this is such an important topic, and I think that too many organizations really don't give it enough attention because there's so much that they're dealing with, you know, on the network and on the the digital side. So I'm wondering, can you explain, I know you've seen a lot of things throughout your career. Can you explain to our audience some of the physical means of storing personal information and other types of sensitive information?
2: Of course. Uh, You laid out uh, quite nicely the different types of media uh, that uh, is still used or mediums that are still used to store information, cell phones, mobile devices, USB drives, external hard drives, paper and backup tapes. Um, and and the environmental considerations of, of these different media have to be taken into consideration and often are not, uh, which can uh, lead to a whole slew of other challenges uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to managing information on, on the external or physical media.
1: So, you know, I gave an example of one of my wake-up calls uh, early in my career. What are some of your real-life examples of maybe some of the worst incidents that you've seen um, for mishandling and inappropriately sharing paper documents and other types of physical media?
2: Oh, sure. I could uh, spend hours talking to you about this, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, some of the uh, situations or scenarios that I've uh Stuck with me, uh, and again, these are referencing uh, what I've read and uh, also keeping uh, tabs in the industry. Mm-hmm. Is you know situations where uh, cases of backup media's have simply fallen off the back of a vehicle or a pickup uh, 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 during a pickup that just uh, they become a loss or, or they're just no longer available. And as you know, the the data that is available to be stored on a media can be uh, gigabytes or terabytes of information uh, that mm-hmm. can disappear, which is a concern. Um, there's also been data sh- ownership, excuse me, information ownership issues. Uh, for example, oh. one entity goes out of business and uh, and there's been a scenario where it's almost a perfect storm where the shredding vendor went out of business. So now there's a, a, a abandoned bins of of shredded materials or maybe not so shredded materials that are sitting in a lot, uh, that now become the, uh, property of either the bank or a landlord, uh, who's not necessarily aware of, uh, the responsibilities or what's necessarily on that information. So that's another one that uh, tends to, uh, be a concern. And then you also touched on human interaction. And I think the concept of social engineering, uh, being able to, uh, inadvertently or or, uh, uh, purposefully gain access to an area where uh, sensitive information may reside either on a device or on paper, and then information...
1: You know, that social engineering point, that's that's so important. But I want to go back and revisit about the business, going out of business or um, not going out of – well, going out of business. But, you know, here's something, too. It's kind of morbid. But I've heard of many times when businesses went out of business because um, the owner died. Like there was just in the past year – clinic here in the Midwest where the the main physician died and soon afterwards all of the patient records were just left out on the curb along with all the other stuff that they cleaned out of his clinic and so you know it, it makes you think they need to do something to think about not only end of life for the business but end of life for the people running the business too right
2: Absolutely. And the responsibility that the heirs or other partners of that organization may have when it comes to protecting PII or personally identifiable information.
1: Right. Well, and that should really be something that is written into policies and procedures far ahead of time, but, you know, I'm sure you've reviewed, you know, hundreds of policies and procedures, but um, I have, as well as, you know, I have too as part of my consulting, but I rarely see that. How many times have you actually seen that organizations have really good planning ahead for when the business goes out of business to take care of documents like that?
2: Uh, That's a great question, Rebecca. It's, it's rare if, to see something uh, organization have that much uh, planning involved on the front end. Typically I've seen organizations have that type of discussion uh, as they become more mature as they they've been able to cycle out of their startup or growth phase into a, a um, more repeatable uh, business uh, functions and, and they, they start to plan ahead Uh, and maybe bring in uh, records management or information governance uh, uh, professionals to have those discussions or business continuity professionals. But uh, it's something that's usually, uh, that topic is after the fact.
1: Right, right. Well, and then oftentimes what they want to do or think about doing is disposing of the data. And that's also when a lot of incidents occur as well, right? I mean, what are some real-life examples you've seen of just you know, getting rid of the, the records and the, the paper documents that people have done wrong.
2: Sure. Well, starting with the physical electronic uh, information, we have certainly walked into situations, and I've been aware of others in our industry who have experienced the same situations where there's the dreaded IT closet or uh, dreaded uh, legacy uh, storage area of old servers and no one knows what's on the information, or or excuse me, on the hard drives or on those servers, or they've changed hands so many times, it's hard to tell uh, what needs to be kept and what, what doesn't have to be kept. And oftentimes, uh, either decision isn't made, so shredding does not occur, destruction does not occur of the hard drives. Or worse, the uh, servers are sold uh, or given away, uh, oftentimes for good intentions, And there's a trust of someone else uh, will will wipe out that information or wipe the data. Uh, But there's no certificate of destruction. There's no process to verify that that has occurred. So uh, that is a very common uh, practice, unfortunately, that is repeated uh, time and time again.
1: You know, talking about having those types of storage media. I mean, I'm looking here at my bookcase right now and I see probably about a dozen different external hard drives that I've accumulated over the years. And, and, you know, I think everybody, when it comes to digital storage, we're probably all digital pack rats, right? I mean, we have stuff. We think someday we're going to come back to them, but there they are. And then when it comes time to really be secure about the information on them, you want to make sure that it's truly deleted. Now, you mentioned a certificate of destruction, and I think a lot of our listeners are we have listeners uh, all over the world. Some of them might not realize or have heard of a, a certificate of destruction before. Can you maybe explain what that is?
2: Absolutely. So, associations or a third party can provide a certificate of destruction to verify that the information is no longer available or has, in fact, been destroyed or altered to a state where it is unrecoverable. Uh, so this can apply to physical or digital information. And typically, Certificate of Destruction is provided to uh, present in the event there is a request for that information, whether it's from a business unit or uh, regulatory uh, agency or uh, a court uh, that, uh, or, or opposing counsel who may ask for information, and you can show the certificate of destruction to prove that information has indeed uh, been destroyed or is unavailable, and it is no longer uh, something that's part of a case or uh, consideration for uh, business purposes, etc. So, uh, the certificate of destruction is is very important uh, to our business, but also to our clients.
1: Well, and I would think, yeah, so the certificate of destruction, now that's not just something that anybody can give, right? I mean, you have to actually go through some very rigorous steps to ensure that the data is gone. You can't just have somebody that says, oh, hey, can you verify for me? that the data is gone because i've heard some organizations say oh, i'll just um, ask my lawyer or i'll ask some some consultant to give me a certificate and they can say it's been destroyed but th- there's got to be something more beyond just somebody saying it's been destroyed right
2: it, well you're absolutely correct it, throughout the united states and in other parts of the world there are uh, shredding or destruction companies that belong to an association called NAID or the National Association of Information Destruction, they have a certification uh, process that organizations go through who shred information and in media uh, to ensure that the chain of custody uh, is understood, that the background checks are, are done, that the facilities are secure, where the information uh, take, destruction takes place. And uh, depending on what the information is and what the client's requested they, uh, as the, the vendors, can re- respond to the customer uh, destruction request by performing the destruction and then providing validation and verification that the destruction occurred. Uh, the, the key is it's done by a third party uh, mm-hmm. versus internal staff uh, tends to hold more weight. And that's it's done by a reputable third party who has the uh, certification in place to, to perform said shred functions.
1: And I would imagine too. It's important that the organization that's using um, these third parties that they actually have a, a policy in place that says we will uh, do this type of activity to ensure data has been verified as being disposed of appropriately. I mean, it, it seems like that. Yeah, it seems like if they didn't have that in place, and then you know, a lawsuit or some sort of legal case comes along. Uh, they wouldn't be able to say, "Oh, well, this is something that we do by th- according to our own policy. It's not just something we decided to do for this one particular instance that uh, has come along. Um, sure. So, so, how about storage uh, incidents? Because that's another thing. You know, I gave the example of having uh, the doctor who was storing all of his patient records in the basement of his apartment building. Have you uh, seen any real-life examples, you know, that are as bad or maybe worse than that?
2: Oh, of, of course. Uh, if if you haven't had to experience a uh, a water main break or a flood uh, of paper records uh, that have been stored in a basement, uh, consider yourself fortunate. Uh, you should really make plans to. Uh, find a different uh, storage uh, option for those records. Uh, Mold uh, to moisture, if there isn't a flood or or overt break of a water line, uh, mold can still uh, live and cause damage uh, to to paper records. Uh, Pests uh, and animals uh, can certainly uh, wreak havoc on boxes of records that are stored in uh, dark, damp places. Uh, And uh, Retrieval uh, and, and recovering those those files can be uh, not a fun endeavor at all. I personally had to uh, go on those uh, uh, recoveries, and, and they are by no means fun at all. Uh, and there are companies that specialize in trying to recover uh, that information on paper and have been around for a long time and do a great job. But those are uh, some, some uh, environmental uh, concerns that have to be taken into consideration. For paper on the data side, uh, find that life expectancy of data is typically ignored or misunderstood. Um, When a hard drive is plugged in or uh, old drives are plugged in, find that the drive the the information was made on is no longer available or not uh, working properly. Uh, Maybe there's an operating system issue, there's a software issue, a formatting issue where the data is just not available. all right. Um, storing information on media uh, that's that's long term retention can have a lot of challenges, too.
1: Right. Well, we ha- we're t- uh, up to a break right now, and it's uh, time to hear from our valued sponsors that I appreciate so much. We are speaking today about physical security risks to records and document and storage devices with Andrew Isasi, Vice President of Kent Record Management and President of IG Guru. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as Show topic suggestions using my email, Herald RebeccaHerald at com, and also through my websites, dot 360com and PrivacyGuidance.com. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold & Associates offers information security products, privacy and compliance tools, education and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about simbus 360com The Simbus system includes information security, privacy and compliance management, policies, procedures and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness. Breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Simbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also Cyber Liability Insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com.
2: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice
0: America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. That's RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor.
1: Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. We're speaking today with Andrew Isasi, Vice President of Kent Record Management and also President of IG Guru about physical information security risks. So let's continue our conversation that we were having. Now we talked about some of the incidents we've seen. So Andrew, what are some of the the common security risks that you've seen and still see within the actual storage facilities?
2: Well, certainly access uh, continues to be a challenge uh, for a lot of organizations, whether they're storing offsite or onsite. Um, knowing who has access to the information and why uh, is something that has become uh, a, a and sometimes challenging uh, task to manage. So ensuring that you know why employees or outside vendors or subcontractors have access to information uh, is, is important. And how to manage that is, uh, is also important from physical access to electronic access.
1: So I'm sure a lot of our listeners might be thinking, well, if they go into a room with paper documents, how do they keep track of who has access? So what are some methods that you recommend that they use to keep track of access to physical forms of information and paper documents and so on?
2: Well, depend- every organization is different, but what we find is the easiest and what I've heard is the easiest from others is Uh, providing access uh, by a group or role uh, throughout an organization is much easier to manage than trying to focus on an individual. Mm
0: -hmm. For
2: example, if you have financial records that need to be reviewed by accounting clerks, you can apply permission to accounting clerks across the board to whether it's a electronic files, information, or paper information, and anyone who has the role of clerk or falls into that category uh, of a clerk, that sets the floor for their access uh, going up. If, if someone is not an accounting clerk, then they would not have access uh, to uh, certain information. Uh, so it would be up to the storage vendor or facility manager to ensure that records are not available to folks outside of a specific group.
1: So limiting them even into, like they can't get into certain rooms where that information is located or if they have to check out boxes of information, that's where the access is checked by whomever is managing that access to the information then. Correct. Um, So I want to tell you about one of my most bizarre um, types of physical incidents that, that I've seen. And then I want to hear about some of your bizarre unusual incidents. So, you know, I've, uh, I live here in Iowa and I've always lived in the Midwest and my family's always farmed and I've always had a farm. And, uh, back in about 2004 on one of the fields that we rented from a state, uh, reserve, um, They also allowed nearby uh, skeet shooting or uh, disc shooting, you know, when you toss the disc and people could shoot. Well, I went out uh, to help in the field, and I saw all these DVDs in our field. And I started looking at them, and I had an old computer computer. That I that kind of a throwaway. It didn't have anything important, so I took the DVDs home. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about thirty to forty DVDs in the field where it looked like people were trying to shoot them through this skeet shooting. You know, instead of having the the clay pigeons sure. or whatever, those they were DVDs that came from a business in the nearby city (laughs) it looked like somebody had taken their dvds and uh you know i i called them up and i said hey how do you get rid of your old dvds and and, you know they had a they had a procedure in place and they were horrified to discover that somehow they had gotten out into our bean fields um, and were being used for shooting practice target practice so (laughs) That's one of the most bizarre things that I've personally experienced, but I'm sure you know you've probably seen a lot of interesting or unusual things too. What are some of your stories?
2: Well, that's a, that's quite a story. Uh, I'm sure it's, that that type of scenario has been replicated across the country and across the world many times. Unfortunately, uh, in my experience, I've run across. Organizations and individuals who attempted to burn uh, paper on their own, uh, not realizing that Ah. uh, when you when you burn uh, a a very dense uh, stack or amount of paper, that typically the outside uh, gets burned, and typically an accelerant is used, uh, which burns very quickly. And uh, Mm -hmm. not only are there environmental risks to setting paper uh, ablaze in a field or in a place where it may be dry. Uh, but oftentimes just the surface of the pile of paper is burned, leaving the inside uh, fairly untouched and in, vacant in of any smoke damage, uh, which here come the winds, and before you know it, you've got paper blowing around uh, You know the, the area that you attempted to burn. So yeah. that is a, a failed attempt. Uh, good intentions at the start, but not good execution on the back end of ensuring everything's destroyed.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, just to that point, to that method, you know, I'm not too surprised, though, because, you know, under the uh, Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act or GLBA, my tongue's getting twisted today, but, um, you know, the disposal rule, I always thought it was interesting that they did have incineration as one of the methods of destroying storage media. So I went, it sounds like the folks took that literally and were actually trying to do it themselves with burning things sure. because they thought they would be in compliance with a, a regulation there, perhaps.
2: Sure, exactly. And and using a community or uh, a township, city, or state incinerator uh, to burn records is typically okay. Um, however, uh, I would be concerned about access to the remnants or the ashes after the fact, you know, how, how burned uh, is, is the paper. And ultimately, with the paper being burned, you've now in some ways removed the uh, recycle value uh, of that paper, uh, whereas a, a responsible shredding uh, facility will uh, properly recycle that uh, shredded information so it can be repurposed into something else.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, it's very interesting. Well, people get creative, don't they? <laughs> they sure do. To dispose of things. And, you know, you talked about water damage earlier on uh, different devices and so on. I mean, we're dealing with a lot of that here, um, you know, this year. Uh, but I don't know if you remember back in uh, 1993, uh, from May to October, that was the great Midwest floods, you know. And, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Um that that brought some interesting data and information storage um, incidents to light as well. Uh, now you're based in Michigan, am I correct? Correct. Yeah. So there, I don't know if you you have a lot of here in the Midwest and Iowa and then down in Missouri, we use a lot of the uh, caves, the storage caves you know, in the, the limestone hills. What are some common storage locations that folks use uh, for your clients? And then can you describe maybe what makes a good storage, uh, physical storage location versus what's not so good? Sure. Uh,
2: so above ground facilities are common here in in Michigan. However, we do have uh, some facilities where um they're underground facilities where they're either old mines and or underground structures where uh, records can be stored. And the the key is not only understanding uh, what the humidity uh, levels can be consistently or the risks around uh, humidity or water, uh, but also the access uh, capabilities. Uh, we tend to, in our industry, operate uh, with the mentality of uh, security by obscurity. So it's often that you drive through an industrial complex and have no clue that the large buildings that you're driving by may store uh, uh, records, and, and we do that on purpose. And for those who want additional protection uh, may seek uh, underground uh, storage, uh, provided that the provider has uh, systems in place to uh, have either a uh, fire uh, suppression, uh, flood flood plans, things of that nature to protect against, uh, uh, water damage to physical records.
1: So then, you know, when records are damaged like that, um, it's good if you can have like a copy of it somewhere, right? Um, what about making copies or images of print documents? What do you have as a best practice or a recommendation for doing that with, uh, with your records?
2: It's a great question. Um, oftentimes, folks or organizations may think they have to scan everything, which is not the case. Uh, oftentimes, information that is put on paper was born electronically. So if you can capture information uh, before it was put on paper digitally and create a backup that way and have uh, open discussions with your business units on recovery time objectives and where that information will be stored, and whether it's encrypted and who has access, uh, that uh, oftentimes will suffice as a, as a, as a good solution
0: uh,
2: or a good start to uh, preparing to recover that information in the event uh, the original copies are, are no longer available. Uh, long-time retention or permanent records that may not have a digital uh, a component to them, whether it's old books or newspapers periodicals, or even old business records uh, that need to be kept for uh, a long time, uh, there may be uh, digitization or uh, a vaulted or more uh, secure and climate-controlled space that's required to preserve uh, those records. Um, and that, that's a fun conversation uh, to have between uh, archivists or records managers. Uh, that's, a, that's a whole other science there in the, that's uh, probably another phone call for another day.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot probably involved with that. So then sure. what about, about the physical security of access? I mean, what kind of uh, security tools are used in physically securing data centers and warehouses and, you know, box, where boxes of uh, documents are held?
2: Well, what I've learned in this industry is that if you have uh, unlimited funding, you can get all kinds of security, and the uh, the the line to walk is what's necessary and what's not. Uh, typically, uh, perimeter uh, controls is number one. A lot of security professionals will advise that your perimeter must be secure, and you probably see that or hear that in the movies. Uh, but identifying what the perimeter is and understanding where that Uh, perimeter uh, starts and ends, and what type of physical controls are uh, required to ensure you know what's coming in and out of your perimeter is important. Uh, Surveillance cameras is important. Uh, We're even seeing uh, heat mapping and drone technology be used, RFID be used. Uh, There's um, uh, HVAC security systems that uh, can prevent against uh, tampering, um, you know, uh, ammunition uh, hits, things of that nature that you can really go into depth in regard to protecting uh, physical records. Um, think of uh, a, a, a security truck or that 's uh, moving money around uh, in an mm-hmm. uh, environment on the road, and, and having that be a type of technology that's stationary. Um, We're using biometrics for individuals uh, in addition to cards for access, card systems. Um, And I mentioned RFID uh, in regard to uh, media uh, to track location and movements. Uh, These are all technologies that are used in various levels uh, in various organizations and industries throughout the U.S. and the world.
1: So probably it depends upon what's on the documents, then, right? The the level of risk based upon the sensitivity of the documents. You probably wouldn't want to you need to put RFID tags on documents that you know w- would not be classified as sensitive or um, very mission critical. If it's something the public can see anyway, but it's still something that you want to protect.
2: Um, Absolutely. Uh, if it, however, if it's found that that is the the, you know, the record that's being stored as the point of truth, where everything else is a copy, mm. that that one record that has its uh, you know it is it starts as, as version one, that may have um, additional controls or security around it uh, from a uh, authenticity standpoint, but. Uh, um, mm. That the, the, you're correct in most cases, uh, copies, if it's public informa- information, the, the security around the copies and the information that's been dispersed is uh, much more, uh, not, not as restricted uh, as the original copies or more classified information.
1: I think that's an important point to hit upon the authenticity and the importance of keeping the original version because I've heard so many organizations over the years. They, uh, they get the, the document scanning or imaging systems, and then they talk about throwing away the originals. And, you know, it's, you, you can't just assume that you can throw the originals away, right? I mean, a lot of times you need those originals for legal purposes and other purposes.
2: Sometimes you do. Uh, Oftentimes you don't if, uh, depending on the state or country you're in, the digital copy uh, can replace the uh, physical copy. Um, I will be the first to to tell you in the industry of scanning that uh, there is typically a percentage of images that do not Get scanned from the physical paper uh, due to Mm -hmm. uh, poor image quality from the paper or the state of the information on the paper not being uh, uh, creating or producing a good copy, or sometimes in a human process, a piece of paper could get missed. So there's an acceptable piece of a percentage of, of images that just don't get produced from paper, and as a result of that, oftentimes organizations will keep everything after the fact because it's very cheap to store the paper. Now this produces another layer of risk and challenges in managing the physical paper. But it, in my experience, it's rare that organizations will purge or destroy scanned image uh, the, the the original media of scanned images after the fact. It's usually,
1: wow. okay. So a lot of it you mentioned this earlier depends upon the legal requirements. Do you have some? Thoughts or recommendations for listeners about uh, what they need to do to determine these legal requirements for how they are are physically securing their their documents and records?
2: Of course. My my recommendation would be to contact uh, your inside counsel uh, to uh, discuss putting together or refreshing a record retention schedule or information retention schedule or it may be called a data retention schedule. Ultimately, it, it, it's a schedule of why something's created, why it needs to be created, and if there's some sort of a regulatory requirement to keep it, what those are, so the council can make the determination on uh, how that information is preserved and where it's preserved and when it can go or be you know, when disposition can occur. Uh, if you don't have inside counsel, I strongly advise, uh, speaking to outside counsel, there are firms who specialize in the practice or, and or hiring uh, records management or information governance consultants to uh, work in conjunction with your business units and counsel to put those retention schedules together or refresh them uh, to make sure that they apply not only to the physical records, but also the digital records.
1: So are these types of topics, you know, we mentioned at the beginning of the show about your new IG guru site, your information governance site. Do you cover these types of topics on that site uh, as far as discussing, you know, how to, to most effectively manage physical access and other types of retention issues?
2: Absolutely, uh, inform- IG guru covers uh, matters related to not only records management that we're talking about, but certainly uh, as you look at the information governance or data governance pie, uh, information security, information privacy, business audit, e-discovery, legal, IT, all fall under uh, the the realm of information governance, along with records management and archives. So these best practices, the uh, the knowledge base of all of these various functions, come together and align with the strategic. Uh, goals of the organization. So as the organization moves, the information uh, moves with it. Uh, the information that's needed and the information that is not is properly disposed of or archived. Uh, it's something that's very passionate uh, to me and, and uh, the folks at IG Guru. So we want to make sure that the uh, the news and the resources out there uh, are properly covered uh, with through IG Guru.
1: And then that is at the, the site uh, address is I-G-G-U-R-U dot net, or am I uh, incorrect there? Okay. Nope, you great. are correct. So let's consider now um, people with their personal records in their homes. Uh, how can just the general uh, person um, in their home life, they have a lot of records, too, that they're gathering. Sure. I mean – How can they protect their physical records better and keep track of them? What kind of recommendations do you have for them?
2: Absolutely. Well, it's a problem that every American has. Uh, We are not in a paperless society. We're still getting mail. Uh, You still get a bill here and there that comes that's not electronic. So Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
2: my suggestion is to contact or reach out to a local shredding company in your area and ask if they have a drop-off. Uh, shredding program. Oftentimes, you can drop off uh, uh, either hard drives, USB sticks, or uh, paper, and know that they will be destroyed uh, at a reputable uh, or NAD certified shredding facility. Uh, if you uh, don't have uh, a shredding facility nearby, then I would recommend um, looking at why what you're producing. Try to go paperless and come up with uh, a way to securely destroy the physical information that you obtain. And most, uh, there's an unwritten rule out there saying everything from seven years ago can go. That's not entirely true, but typically with personal records and personal documentation, uh, seven years is a pretty safe uh, gauge. But uh, uh, local ARMA, ARMA chapters, may have guidance that... uh, the public can reach out to to get a personal retention schedule uh, to, to help with making those decisions.
1: And, you know, something I've seen, here's another example of an incident here in the central Iowa area, but um, everybody wants to recycle, which is good, but you need to make sure that what you're recycling doesn't have something sensitive on the other side. Uh, there was an executive at a large organization in central Iowa uh, several years ago. And he was trying to provide a lot of scrap paper for his uh, son or daughter's preschool. So they'd have something, you know, to draw pictures on at preschool. And so basically he collected the papers from his organization's disposal that had a blank site on it but when they got it there the parents of a lot of the preschool kids were horrified to discover that there was information about real customers in this case on the other side of their children's drawings so you know I think everybody needs to kind of be careful they're trying to do the right thing and I'm all for recycling, but just make sure you're not recycling somebody's personal information while you're at it. Um,
2: Agree,
1: 100%. (laughs) So with regard to the last minute here, what would be one or two things that you would recommend that businesses can do to better secure their physical records and storage media?
2: Well, I think the number one thing that businesses can do is recognize that they have a responsibility to do so. Uh, there's so many regulations out there right now. It's rare that you would be, as an organization, uh, absolved from uh, or immune from uh, regulatory fines or potential uh, consumer action by not protecting information. And, and number two, uh, be be specific and intentional about training employees and letting them know that they have uh, individual responsibilities for ensuring that the corporate information is protected, very much like their own information. And if they don't have that type of mentality, uh, help educate, help train them. And then the last piece of infor- uh, advice I would provide would be test your policies, test your best practices, uh, test your employees, make sure that they are doing the right things uh, with managing information. And if, if there's an in- intentional um, effort to do those three uh, pieces typically are much farther ahead of the game than, than most.
1: Excellent advice, Andrew. Thank you so much uh, for being my guest today. I really enjoyed chatting with you.
2: Oh, I'm honored. Thank you very much and look forward to listening to future episodes of your show.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Well, today I've been chatting with Andrew Sassy, the vice president of Kent Record Management and President of IG Guru about physical information security risk and also a lot of related issues to that. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. Please tune in to the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will be able to listen to the recordings. And you can find the recordings of all my past shows on your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, and all the others that I listed earlier in the show. And of course, you can subscribe to my show on the voiceamerica.com business channel website. Please contact me if you're interested in being a show sponsor or an advertiser. And also contact me for any security, privacy, or compliance keynotes. Uh, I've been an uh, expert witness for some interesting cases. Love doing those. And check out my simbis 360com site. So I urge you to stay Notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities and go to your job and your daily work or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those that you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.